and we are live. Hey, how's it going, Matt? Good. Not quite as good as last week. We're not quite as live as we were last week. We were literally live, like actually in the same room, but still pretty fun. Good to chop it up for episode 41. How are we doing? Yeah, I agree. It's It was really fun being in the same room. That was that was awesome. I think we're just going to have to fly yeah. once a week back and forth to where we are just to get a live podcast going. I think we have to. And we'll get the studio set up. We'll make sure that we got the like the microphones that come down, cool chairs, cool totally. atmosphere, like a fireplace that maybe works, maybe doesn't, but it doesn't matter because it looks cool. So yes, yeah, business expense. Fly business down, expense. Morning, fly back at night. Exactly. This yeah. is your number one priority. You have to yeah. act like it. Yeah. One day we're not going to be in a room where it's like someone's filling up water in the background while we're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about was the fact that a few people reached out last week when we asked, hey, if you're listening, let us know. Reach out on Twitter. My Twitter is Seth J. Kramer. Matt's is Maddie Builds. And it was awesome. A few people reached out. Really cool to hear from people who are actually listening. And if you didn't reach out last week or if you're listening and you haven't reached out yet, definitely reach out. We'd love to hear from you, get your feedback or just to say hello. Just cool to cool to hear from you. So, yeah. Anything you want to add to that, Matt? I just, I never expect anyone to listen. It's mostly just for me to talk to you, but yeah. to hear from people was really cool to hear from people that I never met before. Very cool. Also to hear from Ryan Caradonna, shout out to Ryan, who we'll get a second shout out later in this pod, but uh, it's honestly really cool that anyone listens to this and that anyone spends the time listening to any of our thoughts. So we would love to hear from you. Love that you're listening. Really appreciate you and are excited for hopefully another good episode. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's, not like I, I kind of just thought nobody listens. So even the fact that one person listens is is pretty cool to me. Yeah, totally agree. One yeah. more beyond your parents who right. are maybe my favorite listeners. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay, so in this episode, we have a few cool things to talk about. The first one that I'm looking forward to, which is going to be a little bit different from some of our other podcasts, is we both read different books on Steve Jobs recently. You read the Steve Jobs biography by Walter Isaacson. I read the Steve Jobs book that was recently released by his family called Make Something Wonderful, which is like a collection of his writings and speeches and his own words. And we both took notes. And I think it'll just be interesting to talk about what stood out to us in terms of maybe like Steve Jobs as a person, but also as a business person and just different lessons that we took away from it. So yeah, do you have anything first that you want to go go on? I have a bunch of highlights as well. So either way. Cool. Yeah, this is a lot of fun to go through my highlights for it. We did this for Invent and Wander, which was Jeff Bezos' shareholder letters and some interviews with him. Also I agree. Really, highly, highly, highly recommend that as well. Highly recommend. If we were David Senra, we'd be able to tell you that was episode 27. And <laughs> in this moment, we talked about it. But yeah, I, I guess before I say that, I will. I really am looking forward to reading Make Something Wonderful. If I had not read the jobs biography like the week before it came out I, I already probably would have read it by now but yeah it was fun going through my highlights so my I wrote down to just my biggest takeaway and something that was inspiring to me as I was reading the biography was just how much he treated jobs treated products like art and he was really one of the first people who would look at technology and say this isn't just going to be for pure productivity this isn't going to be for like pure pure utility it's really like a piece of art that you're allowing into your home and that came from his philosophy as a kid, where his dad would always tell him, like, you know, even the backside of a cabinet, you need to use the same quality of wood that you would use on the front, even though you don't see it, because even you know, as the builder, all the deficiencies. And so you want everything to be as high quality as possible. Um, mm -hmm. That was really inspiring to me. And it made me think about the product experiences today that feel most like art. And even like that was an inspirational exercise. And so a couple of products that I thought about, I think naturally I thought about Apple which obviously is a company that Steve Jobs created and is a company that I really love. Like I watch every WWDC, have most of their products, but the iPhone still from just like a visual and, and like usefulness perspective is such a magical product experience. It's fantastic. It's yeah. so great. And this is now 16 years after it came out. It's amazing that it's still like best in class. I would never even think about switching to any other product and can't imagine myself doing so. And I'm, I actually have a feeling that in a few weeks when they announced the AR device, then I'm going to be like, crap, I got to get this too. So yeah, it, that was one. Another is Fellow, the company that makes all my coffee products. It's at fellowproducts.com. 
they make this just really beautiful looking kettle. They have all this glassware that's really nice. Like they really care about the craft of the products they can make. And I, I was just like amazed by both of their ability to be able to scale up craft. And that was a, a feeling I had again and again as I was reading the jobs biography. But I want to pause there to ask you the same question, which is, I'm curious which product experiences feel like art to you today, but then also I'll kick it over to you and we can just ping pong back and forth. Going yeah, on that's I, and your takeaway on him as an artist is, is a big takeaway that I have is that reading, reading makes something wonderful, which is his own words, his own writings, his own speeches. It doesn't read like a typical business CEO. It reads like a almost like a philosopher, an artist like that was cl clearly something really important to him. And he definitely thought in a very unique way and incorporated all that into business, which is what made Apple so special. Also, it's like what you said, how Apple still is like that, even, you know, so many years after he's passed away. And after the iPhone came out, reminds me of I was, something I saw today, this yesterday was I was watching some of the, the clips from the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. And someone asked, Warren and Charlie, you know, you own, you know, Apple makes up a really significant portion of your portfolio. Like, is that something you're concerned about? And they basically said, we can't find a better business than Apple. And, and that's just in pretty amazing. Also makes me feel not to make this a stock picking episode, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> makes me feel like maybe, maybe I should buy some Apple, but yeah, yeah. So, Berkshire Hathaway is telling you this is their biggest holding, and they're not selling ever. Then, yeah, that that's maybe a sign that you should buy. Yeah, right. Like, and I think the quote that Warren Buffett had, I didn't watch all the videos, and I'm curious if that's one of your carve outs. But one of the comments he made was like, "People are more willing to get rid of their second car than they are willing to get rid of their iPhone." And yeah. it's true. It's astounding. But they've developed that good of a product experience. Yeah, totally, totally. In terms of products that have that artistic feeling i'll get back to you I'll, I'll kind of try and think about that the the next thing the first thing that i wanted to talk about from my notes so we can kind of go back and forth i also i do I, I agree with you i think that actually let me think for a second here fellow i think the arc browser it, does that for me it just feels like a magical experience sure. right? yeah yeah and and yeah, they're definitely, I think, have a, like you talked about last week, like their focus is on, like, they don't have all like the normal KPIs, like their focus is really on, what was it? It was like, uh, they made up their own, like, like the number of five out of seven days that someone uses the browser. Yeah, D5, D7. Yeah, I had one just like a second ago. Oh, one that was interesting to me and also was kind of clear to me from listening to Brian Chesky's interview with Jason Calacanis last week on on This Week in Startups. But because clearly Brian Chesky is like referencing Steve Jobs many times through and he's clearly trying to, I think, learn from Steve Jobs. But the way he's trying to build Airbnb is, I think, similar where I, I it seems like their core values are like community and bringing people together and giving people experiences and it's it's not just like how much money can we make and the money is going to follow but that's not their core the core way he's thinking about the product and i think that's similar he's modeling after steve jobs i think but that's how steve jobs did it too like the core thing wasn't money the core thing was making centering around experience about how it makes people feel and then the money comes after it so that's just that's one else that one other that comes to mind yeah yeah, that makes sense. And that that is what you just said is really similar to what I wrote down too, is that I think Steve Jobs really embodied that money is a byproduct of success and of creating these really beautiful artistic products. And it's mm -hmm. not like the goal. It wasn't like he was sitting there with a spreadsheet deciding that's how I'm going to make my decisions. Like there were even decisions where if you just look at it on a spreadsheet, you would say, oh, you can cut costs here. You can like use a lower quality product for the casing for this computer and he, it wouldn't matter. He just had final say. And he said, no, this is what we're doing. Because to me, as the artist, this is important that we do it this way. And, right. and it always worked out as a result. Yeah. And totally. It actually, not to cut you off, because I'm, I'm going to go over to you, but it did remind me of another thing, which is related, but a different point. It was looking at Apple's core values, or at least like specifically, it was called their Apple, Apple marketing philosophy. Mm -hmm. uh, and point three of the Apple marketing philosophy was, the th third and equally important principle awkwardly named was impute. 
It emphasized that people form an opinion about a company or product based on the signals that it conveys. People do judge a book by its cover, he wrote. We may mm. have the best product, the highest quality, the most useful software, et cetera. If we present them in a slipshod manner, they will be perceived as slipshod. If we present them in a creative, professional manner, we will impute the desired qualities. And I really like this. It like imputes kind of a weird word, but yeah, it, like all these different things kind of trickle down where you kind of just know that Apple is going to do things in the best way possible in a really amazingly designed way. And that's the assumption yeah. that you have every time you use an Apple product. And so they may not have even been the first one to market on any of these products. Like they weren't the first smartphone. They weren't the first MP3, MP3 player. They weren't the first computer, but they, you know, that when they ship a product, they're going to package it in this really elegant way. And that it's going to be an incredible product experience. Yeah. I, I love that. It's true. People do judge a book by its cover. And I, I think that the way I also think about it too, with products is like, let's even say you're, you're in the grocery store, right? And if, if a product has really cool packaging, like, yeah, maybe they just hired a design agency, but regardless, that's still, they made a priority to do that. Right. And I think that if something does have really good packaging and really good design around it, it kind of shows that the company cares, right? They care about what their product yeah. looks like. And they're probably also going to care about what the inside looks like if they care about what the outside looks like. Like just as a, as a general, like human nature thing, like if you're a human that cares about how something's going to look from the outside, you're, you're just going to want it to be good overall. And it's true. I think that 99 out of a hundred times the, you can like the design is, is going to be a really strong reflection of, of what the, the functionality actually is. I totally agree with that. I also, so one of my other magical product experiences, I'm kind of like thinking of them as yeah. we go, but yeah, uh, trade coffee is some of the happiest money that I spend every week. Like I usually get yeah. a bag of coffee every week. I typically like now I have a few roasters in rotation that I'll typically buy from. And if I don't like the design of the bags that the roaster uses, I actually don't buy from them. And it's like, to me, a marker of quality, because if you think about the product that you're making so much and care about it so much, are you willing to invest in even making the bag that the coffee goes in beautiful? Then that shows me right. that you're like a true craftsman, a true yeah. crafts person. But uh, yeah, yeah totally. so I totally agree with you. I do judge a book by its cover. And I think I took that as a, as like a, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. But I think for certain things, it really does matter. And at the very least, yeah. I value the people who do value that. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was a good thing that I saw called out or it really spoke to me when I saw that. Yeah, yeah, cool. No, it's a good example. So one quote that really stuck out to me in the beginning of this book, it was a quote from Jobs early on in his career. And he says, I can't tell you why you need a home computer right now. I mean, people ask me, why should I buy a computer in my home? And I say, well, to learn about it, to run some fun simulations. And if you've got kids, they should probably know about it in terms of literacy. They can probably get some good educational software, especially if they're younger. And, and, and he goes, but other than that, there will be, there's no good reason to buy one for your house right now, but there will be, there will be. And what to me, like I'm reading this from like the seventies and it's kind of similar to AI right now. It's like this new technology, you know, you might not be able to say exactly why you need to use it. Although AI now, it would almost be like AI a couple of years ago when there wasn't as many like use cases built out for it. But I just think that's a very interesting way to think about new technology that, you know, just because there's not like a reason you necessarily need that product right now in your home, if you can like a, a re, like just use learning about it and running fun simulations like job said is a good enough reason to play around with new technology and also i think just interesting that he was like he obviously saw the future so clearly that this is going to be something that's mass market that everyone's going to use so yeah yeah i i agree i have two reactions i think one is i was thinking about crypto and blockchain while you were talking about that because it yeah. was something where the two of us went kind of all in on it not like we devoted our lives to it and everything we did was web three and we were like self-custodying our own money. But we learned a lot about I, it though. We, we spent a no, lot that's of time what I'm learning. Saying. Yeah, totally. That's my point is I think even when it doesn't work out, like home personal computing turned out to be totally a winning category. Right. But even for losing categories, I think it's something that I want to do throughout my life is just continue investing in the knowledge of what's new. And I never want to be the person who doesn't understand the new technology or doesn't appreciate it, even if it doesn't work. Like, I think it's important to follow up on those trends and actually learn. Now, I think the follow-up to that is when you learn, you should probably form your own first person opinion and not just like 
not just follow the crowd. Because I think that is something I got a little carried away with with crypto and blockchain is I thought everything was going to be Web3. And I think it's really easy to feel that way when everything is up to the right when and all of your money is invested in crypto and you're doing great as a result. But I don't, there were definitely questions that people would ask me where I kind of hand waved away the answer. And right. I, I wish I didn't do that. I wish that I like learned, but was skeptical in places where it was worth being skeptical and could point very honestly to things that were not very good about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was one reaction. I was just thinking about like this wave, I totally agree with you. And I think it's probably not that controversial to be like, yeah, you should learn AI. But I think even in cases where it doesn't pan out and the technology doesn't work, I still think it's good to learn nonetheless. And even just to be the person who's not going to crap on new technology just because it's new and it's unproven. Totally. And crypto might end up being a category that becomes a winner. And then it's good. You're going to be happy that you spent the time learning about it. it it's almost, it is one of those categories that it, it's almost more applicable where it is something that if it succeeds, it's going to be something that everyone uses, right? So yeah, it's kind of like right now is much more of the experimentation time. And obviously history is written by the people that were right. So like if computers didn't end up being a big thing, then we would never be reading this quote. But the same thing could be said for, you know, someone who's really into crypto right now and still into it and still tinkering with it and building. And then in 10 years, they might have a quote like this and they, you know, it, it could be a very similar thing could end up playing out. Yeah. I'm maybe we'll do an episode on this in the future. Cause I'm, I'm not convinced that crypto is totally dead. I'm not, I think there are certain parts of it that are actually really cool and valuable. I don't know where it's ultimately going to go, but I'm, I don't think it's dead by any means. Yeah. It's, it's not dead. It's definitely not dead. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to make another point though. So you're talking about, learning new technology and even just tinkering. I forgot what my second comment was going to be, but it probably means it wasn't very good. <laughs> cool. What else you got? Yeah, I, there was another story. There were like a few stories that I pulled out. Yeah. And this one was on simplicity. So I'm sure you, there were like, just from being an Apple fan and as reading the book, I don't know how much I went into this, but there were so many mentions to simplicity as like a design guideline for Apple. Um, and so like on the top of the brochure for the first Apple computer that they sold, they wrote down a Da Vinci quote, which was simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And one story that I really liked about where simplicity came into effect was really wanting to control the user experience of the iPod. So for a lot of MP3 players at the time, you could make playlists from the, from the device and whatever you wanted to do from the device, they like packed as much functionality in there as possible. Right. But Steve Jobs had this insight that basically like, the only thing you should be able to do from the device itself is play music. Like it should be, you know, three clicks away from any action that you want to take. So all the functionality they kind of put into iTunes. And if you wanted to create a playlist, do it in iTunes. If you wanted to right. get new music, do it through iTunes. But if you wanted to play it, that's really all you could do through the iPod. And especially in this new category that came out where like they kind of were the first people that made MP3 players accessible to the mass market. I think that was a really smart choice. And it was like a really good lesson in what simplicity should look like and how you should actually design a product experience. Like you should make it so that even like the only thing you can do is the right experience. Yeah. It's so funny that everyone talks about the iPhone, but I think that people forget that the iPod happened and how big that was. That was huge. And they were, they were an innovator in that also. And that was like, but everyone had an iPod. Everyone had an iPod. That, mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like people kind of gloss over that. They kind of go from the Mac to the iPhone, but the iPod was huge. Yeah. What was your first iPod? Did you get the original one? I had, I definitely had an iPod video, but was the iPod, nice. I think I had a mini. That may have been my first. I, I think that would have been before. So I think I had an iPod mini. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first one too. I had an iPod Nano. Oh, you had a Nano. The yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had a I had a blue Nano. So I guess you had a different one than I did. Yeah, the mini one was that was like the black and white one, but or you get it in black or white, but it was like a very miniature version of what the normal iPod looked like. No, look up the mini. It was it was like silver. The design is really cool, actually. I still have it. I still have it at home. Do you actually? Yeah. Oh wait, this iPod mini looks like my nano. Maybe I had a mini then. Yeah, so I had that mini. I had the iPod video. And I remember Oh my god, you're totally right. I had an iPod mini. 
Yeah, I got it wrong. That's really embarrassing for someone who <laughs> loves Apple. Yeah, I had a mini. I had a blue mini. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, I had a silver one. And then I had an iPod video. I remember watching episodes of The Office, like going to school <laughs> on the bus. <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing, but not with The Office. I was probably watching something else. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, I went from mini to video. That's cool. But yeah, now like these products are so good. Yeah. So good. I totally agree. Kind of like appealing about having like maybe it's just nostalgic, but there's something appealing about having a device that only plays music and just like, like, I don't know. It's kind of cool. I agree. We yeah, re- it's kind of nice. Like it's, I can't think of that many other single purpose devices that we have nowadays. Cause now it's almost like, like when Apple created the iPod, it was, yeah, it was like this very specific functionality. It was only music. And now that's basically a button on your phone. So it went from Apple had this device that was like effectively what the Spotify button or the iTunes button does, but on your phone where you now have much more functionality on it. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I still think that as people become more and more overwhelmed by information that these single per- purpose devices could become popular again. I, I think it's possible. I still think it's possible. Yeah, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the single purpose reader. I mean, it, and that's not different from a Kindle. That's also a single purpose device, but right. uh, like the glasses where all you can do is you can read from them. Are there any others that you use today or no? There's, I guess the Kindle would be a single purpose device. I would say like a Switch is a single purpose device for playing video games. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two that I can I can think of. But I think that's something else that could be cool about a single purpose device. Like I imagine, like, let's say there was a single purpose, like music and audiobook player. The battery could probably be really, really good and last a really, really long time. And there could be benefits to single purpose other than just not being distracted, but maybe also in the fact that like, it's almost a device that just like lasts for, for days and days and days, maybe even a week, like a week or longer. Like the Kindle lasts for a super long time. Yeah, yeah. So. I rarely have to charge my Kindle. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. It's funny right. because I feel like for a lot of things that I own, I, I really value the functionality or the versatility of being able to use it for multiple purposes. Yeah. Like kitchen items. Like I don't really like things where it's a single purpose item, but this is totally different where it's actually like, no, it, it's, it's not for like a functional purpose in a kitchen. It's more like if you want to focus on one task or if you want to like do one thing very specifically. Right. I guess it's not very different because it's kitchen versus technology, but yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I like the idea of that. I think I like it more than I actually would probably use it if I were presented with the yeah. option of, do you just want to use this from your iPhone or do you want to use it right. That's, on I a purpose device? But yeah, I, I like the idea. Yeah, the idea of it's good. Yeah. What yeah. else do you got on jobs? All right. So another thing that I thought was cool was him. He was talking about like hiring and managing people and was talking about how like, you know, the mission and, and the, the, or like, basically he was saying the one thing that ultimately motivates people is the work itself. So he he's like, I sometimes wish it were me, like meaning like, Oh, like, I think this was in reference to like, Oh, you're such a good manager. Like, what do you do that's able to, to like motivate people and manage people so well. And at the end of the day, he says, it's not, there's like the, there's only so much that a manager can do. It really is the work. The job of the manager to make sure the work is as good as it can be or should be and to get people to stretch beyond their best. But ultimately, it's the work that motivates people. That's what binds them, binds them together. And I thought that was really interesting and was kind of just the simplest like management philosophy or almost philosophy on like it really applies to entrepreneurship, I think. Like if you're trying to to hire people for your, for your company, like what the thing that's going to really motivate people and make them do their best work is working on something that's really cool and something they're really interested in. And there's only so much like you can do. And and maybe like, you know, the things that they teach you at business school is going to be like, okay, how do you motivate people who aren't excited about what they're working on? Because that's what 99% of jobs are. But yeah. if you can start a company and you have the choice, like start one that's some, some, that is something that other people could get excited about. And that's what is really going to motivate them. So I thought that was a cool, like a cool quote and kind of philosophy. Yeah. Do you believe that's true? Like, do you think that's true for you? 
what motivates me like is it the work that motivates me yeah hmm i think that i think that it's interesting so i think that when you are I think that as a business owner, it's going to be a little bit less the case because it's very motivating to make money. And like when you know, like when when you can work harder and make more money, I think that there's some correlation there that is that helps. I think that it's true. I think that I think that the type of company you have is going to really impact who you're going to be able to recruit. So I think that it's true. I think that there's varying degrees to it. Not everything is going to be like Apple and literally changing the world type excitement. But I do think that, yeah, I think that people are going to be much more motivated to work on something that at least like you can message as being excited, exciting. So yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I may be a bit more cynical. Well, maybe I'll say this. Like I have a few different thoughts on motivation and personalizing it to what makes me excited to work. I think there's like a hierarchy of needs with working where you can only get employees to invest in what is the mission of the company? Are we doing something cool? If all of the base needs are taken care of, like if they feel like they're paid appropriately and their manager is not mean to them and they like the people they work with and they're like generally, they have like some happiness bar that they're meeting. I don't think that any amount of what is the mission is going to matter if they don't feel like those base needs are being met. So that's like one is I think that there are things yeah. that are probably table stakes that you need to have in any job in order to make people feel like you can even get to that higher level of meaning. I also, I, it kind of bucks convention. Like I, I think, or at the very least, I think a lot of companies look at this problem of how do you motivate people? And they think, well, we should extrinsically motivate them because most people, if you actually like looked at it objectively are probably not going to be here for the rest of their lives. They're going to be here for a couple of years, maybe on average for a year to three years. And so what we want them to do is we want them to do really good work for that year or two or three. And how do we do that? We like make it their priority and make their incentives aligned with doing really good work in the short term. So maybe it doesn't matter, at least in a lot of companies' minds, like if we ultimately have the best culture day to day, as long as we align incentives properly to get people to do good work in the meantime. And that's not good. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I think that's just like a bad way that companies look at motivation and incentives. But yeah, most companies are not long-term oriented because they don't really feel like they should be or need to be. And most of management philosophy is, I don't know what management philosophy would be, but that's at least my perception of how most companies from like Deloitte to other companies I've worked at have been. But if if the work is so good and exciting, then then it kind of all goes out the window, right? And then I think that there is a lot more that is about like people are going to be more intrinsically motivated as long as the other table stakes are there, right? No matter what, there's going to be table stakes of like how much you're being paid and things like that. But beyond that, like then like the manager can focus more on just pushing people to like work, do their best. Basically, you're more of a coach as opposed to having to like convince them that the problem, the, the work itself is, is exciting is exciting right i guess so i mean i have personal thoughts on this i don't know if this is exactly what apple does and my brain is now going in two different directions like one is what would it take to me to be a good manager and i i agree i really like the word they used of coach because i think especially for most people earlier in their career they're looking for a coach they're looking for someone who's going to invest in their growth and development it's usually not the motivation of a company to invest in people's growth and development because it doesn't directly benefit the company's bottom line or like maybe put differently, the direct incentive of a company is to, or for most managers, is to grow their business unit. And growing yeah. your business unit can have a byproduct of people grow as a result. But for the most part, if you invest in someone's growth and development, then that's because it's coming out of the kindness of your own heart and not generally because you're incentivized to do so by the company. And so that's yeah, like that's one true. thought on the word coach. The other is, I wonder if like, we're talking about this in terms of is the work cool? But the other thought in my head is just like, does it matter if it's cool as long as the company is winning? Like if the company is doing well, and you've probably seen this with your own companies that you've worked on too, it's much more fun to work on something that's working as opposed to something that's not working. Like it could be really cool 
but not working and it loses its luster pretty quickly. If you're working on something cool and it's working, man, like that is by far the best thing to be part of. Right. And I'm, I'm sure that trickles down to being in a company too, because then you feel like, oh, we're crushing it. Everything we do is, is gold. So I think that like maybe meaning and winning are two sides of the same coin in this yeah. case, because Apple was both like a very cool, meaningful company and a company that like achieved massive success. But if they were, if they had the same mission and like thought that they were making the same impact, but they would just like, didn't have the same relevance on a global scale. I'm not, sh- I don't know how it would be to work there. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is coming from Steve Jobs, like, like in as he's very successful building a very meaningful company and it's easy, maybe it's easier to make those claims when those things are all going for you basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. I will say though, I think the Apple culture is real. Like I have a friend from business school who she really embodies this ideal of like everything we need to do needs to be at this level. And this is what the Apple guideline would say. And no, you can't like craft a slide that way because that's not how Apple would do it. And there really is this buy-in from most people there that the Apple way is the way. And it's a very different culture from most other companies. And it was cool to see from the outside. I'm not sure I'd want to work there, but I really admire that that is the culture because I love the products that they make. It's kind of secretive, right? Like they uh, don't really talk that much about what they're like. I oh, what like they're working on? Yeah. They what they're working on. I will not it. say it. Yeah. 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 Which is like, also like all of it is unique kind of the way they, they run their company. Yeah. Yeah. I'd even be like, oh, I read this on nine and five Mac and Allison would be like, what do you mean? I can't talk about that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like they clearly instill things in their employees to not. Yeah. Not talk yeah, about yeah. That. yeah. 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 For sure. All right, what else you got then? Maybe we'll move on or we can kind of, we can, there's a few mm-hmm. more things, but there's a, I have a ton of notes, but we're not going to be able to talk about all of them. I'm sure the same for you. Yeah, I'm leaving a lot on the cutting room floor. I, I think just like an overarching comment on Apple and their product when they launch products is they're usually not innovating in the sense that they like pioneer a category and they're the first product out in the market. It's usually that they like wait, let the market develop a little bit figure out where there are flaws and then come out with their product. And when they come out right. with it, it's like perfect off the bat or maybe not perfect, but it's, it's a really amazing product experience off the bat. And there's a comment that I read in the book, one of the highlights that I wrote or one of the notes that I highlighted was Apple has a history of stealing from other companies. They typically don't create new co- hardware categories, but they do perfect them. And related to that, I wrote Picasso has a saying, good artists copy, great artists steal. And we have always been shameless about stealing great ideas. That was a quote from Steve Jobs. Yeah. Uh, and that's true of all the products we were just talking about. But I think it even extends to stealing philosophies from other people. Like he was a big fan of Edwin Land from Polaroid and Akio Morita from Sony. And the, all of his comments about the intersection of humanities and science are like literally what Edwin Land would say himself. And there's really something magical about that intersection. And a lot of people don't think about it that way. They think, oh, we're a technology company. But Steve Jobs was much more like, oh no, we're creating these just like magical product experiences at the intersection of life or yeah, technology and humanities. And I really like that. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And it is, it, 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 that is clearly their strategy, right? They're never the first one to market, I guess, other than the Apple one, their very first product that was the first PC Right. But, but basically since then it's, they've, or at least more in the modern day, it's, it, that's not the case. Even the iPod was not the first MP3 player and, and the same with the AR glasses that they're going to release that they're not going to be the first ones to release that. And it makes sense. And I think, especially for them, I guess the question is I'm thinking is like, does that apply to where and where does, and does that not apply in other industries? Like for them, I think it makes a lot of sense, especially in an industry where the as like new technology it takes time to perfect and it, it it i don't know is that the case with with everyone or or not or what industries what other industries does that apply to i personally think it applies right now to ai i don't think that ai is sufficiently developed that we know exactly what the best infrastructure is going to be what the best product experiences that we're going to build should be I think it's totally valid to play around with it. Like you were saying, like tinker, definitely don't let it just go by without tinkering with it, but develop a strong point of view and then build as opposed to trying to be part of the gold rush. And 
Yeah. That I, I do personally believe. I'm trying to think of others as well, but that was the first one that came to mind. And it's something we've talked about for the past few weeks. It's been a running theme, at least for me. I don't know if I'll apply that to you, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think for AI, that makes sense. Any new, maybe just it applies to new technologies. Anytime there's like a very new technology, the first mover is usually not the one that is the ultimate winner. Yeah. Especially for Apple, where so much is about user experience and just making it a really, really great experience. And they're just not going to release something if it doesn't meet that bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which actually related to that. I'm very curious how the AR headset launch is going to go. Because there have been some rumors behind the scenes that Tim Cook is pushing this too quickly and it doesn't meet that quality bar. Like he's really pushing this faster than it probably should have gone out. Mm. And I'm curious to see how the launch actually is. My hunch is that it's actually going to be a really good product experience. And I think they're going to nail it right off the bat. But I've just read, I've see, heard some rumblings that they've been really trying to rush this. They're trying to get it out the door. It maybe isn't what the quality bar would have actually produced, but right. they just want to get this done. So I'm they, curious to see what, I don't what feel like. Is. I don't see why they would need to do that. Like, it's not like there's any other product that is really successful in this category, right? No, I agree. I don't know. My, my hunch is that it could be like, Tim Cook really hasn't come out with his own product since he's taken over. I mean, he came out the Apple Watch and that actually is a big one, but he kind of wants to like leave his mark and come out with his own product. I've seen comments like that, but you're right. There's no, I don't feel like there's a humongous rush for them to have to come out with a product, which is also why I I do believe that it's going to be a great product. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. What are, okay. What are people going to use this for? Is it going to be, it's going to be a pair of glasses. It's basically going to be, like a virtual dashboard and AR that can be placed into the world by wearing these glasses. Yeah, I think it's going to be a hybrid headset. So it'll be able to do both AR and VR. I think it's mostly going to be an entertainment device. Got so it. Like you can watch movies headset, with it. It's not going to be a pair of glasses. It's going to be a headset. Correct, yeah. Got it, interesting. Is it, are they also doing glasses or that's going to be in the future? They might be doing it at some point, but not in this go around. The first one is going to be a headset, like a true headset. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I do wonder, like, are they really going to be able to release something that is significantly, like, years ahead of what what Meta is releasing in Ocul- with the Oculus, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure. I guess we'll find not, out in a month. If they're, not able to, if they're not able to, then it probably won't be that successful because it, I don't know. I mean, it'll be, maybe it'll sell a lot, but... It's also going to be super expensive. I think it's going to be $3,000. So they're going high end. They're going really high end. Yeah. Hmm. And it's going to come out in a month? They're announcing in a month is what I've read. Got it. Interesting. Cool. TBD on if they release it immediately, but it yeah. seems like it's coming soon. Well, I'm sure when they do, VR AR is going to be the new hot topic on Twitter. So invest now. I. This is all part of my meta investment thesis this is it it's all coming together you gotta you could it's it's the perfect time to start an ar vr daily newsletter with all the updates <laughs> honestly i agree i i'm still I, I, so bullish actually would be like, yeah i love that idea i think it's a great one yeah there are so many like because i advertise in in one of them and ben's bites which I, I really like his newsletter i don't subscribe to any other ai newsletters but like they're all coming out of the woodwork and they're like, hey, I saw you were advertising in you know, this newsletter. Do you want to advertise in, in ours? That's it's so like, funny. They're just yeah. so funny now. And they all seem to have a lot of subscribers. So it's just, I don't know. Very interesting. Wow. Do you think that they're actually writing it or are they just outsourcing it to ChatGPT? I know Ben has people writing it and yeah, I don't know about the others. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Do you yeah. want to keep going on jobs? I feel like we... We should move on, but what do you think? Move on. I'd say we move on. Yeah. All right, cool. What do you think of that segment in general? I thought that it was okay. What do you think? I, th- I thought it was okay. I don't think that it's going to be our <laughs> bread and butter. No. I think it's better when we incorporate some of that stuff into our topics that we talk about. I think it's cool, yeah. but it, it was more like, it was kind of like we were trying too hard to be David Senra, <laughs> and we were also, I don't know if it was really as dynamic as we normally go. I, I could even tell in our voices that we weren't as excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it's, you know what? It's the second half. It's time to bring the heat. We got some ideas. So I'll, I'll let you start. Whatever topic you want to go to, it's all yours. Okay, well, I was going to go to a topic that was recommended to us by a listener. 
Ryan Caradonna. Hey. And I love it. The topic was, and by the way, feel free if you have ideas for topics, you can tweet at us and we might talk about it. And we'll so, shout you out if we do. Yeah. So the topic was notes from diff- a different like like systems for keeping track of notes that you might take in your Kindle or physical books or using different tools or what tools you use. Do you, do you have any system for this, Matt, on, on your side? Is there anything you do? No, to be completely honest, I highlight books as I read them on my Kindle. I almost never look back at them. Like yesterday was the first time I actually looked and realized that Amazon has its own highlighting feature. Yeah. Like not feature, but highlighting like website where you can go and read your highlights from a book. Did not know you could do that. And so, yeah, that was honestly the first time I've actually went back and looked, but I do highlight and I never look at them again. What do you use? Got it. So I used to be a lot, a lot more into this and it used to be a bigger focus. So I do have Readwise, or at least I used to have Readwise. And what Read- Readwise does is syncs up your Kindle highlights and then it'll like email you random quotes that you've had. I think it'll help you organize them as well. And then you can also like import them into Notion or other note-taking docs and things like that. And I used to read over my Kindle notes more frequently. I even at one point like copied over notes into a journal so that I would like remember them better at, or like the ones When that you were, say notes, are these highlights or these are actual notes that you took? Hi- highlights. Yeah, uh, gotcha. Yeah, I did that. That was maybe when I was like 22 years old and like really trying to learn a lot about all these like business things that and like all these business books. So these days, I, I don't do a lot, honestly. I, I, I don't know. I aspire to. Maybe we could riff on what would be a good system to, to keep track of these things. Actually, I do have a, an area to go in this. And I, I was thinking that AI embeddings, is a, which is a way to like search semantically, basically, for, for things. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, yeah, I was actually thinking today or how this is just like unrelated, but how, how you could, if, if you were building like a next generation AI, like note taking app, or like this could definitely work for like Kindle highlights, things like that, what would it look like? And I feel like this is an area where you could use AI to build a really compelling app where maybe a, like it's taking in all your highlights and it's using embeddings. So you can like very easily search them without having to categorize, right? Like it'll just categorize it automatically for you. You could also use GPT-4 to like summarize them and and make connections between them and, and do all sorts of things like that. So I think that there's a lot of like, like there's been a lot of people who try to like create these like second brains type thing, like using Notion or like all, you know, putting all of their notes in one place. To me, like I've always felt for me, that it was kind of like spending, it was too much time spent on like doing all of that to actually make it useful for me. It was just like wasted time. Whereas now, like maybe there is more of an opportunity to import a lot of things and then get, get use AI to create something that's really interesting. So, so my, my take is that I think the future of this is going to involve AI and embeddings. And I think there's a business opportunity there as well especially if you're building something from scratch as opposed to just slapping ai on top of your existing note-taking app that you already built so that's that's my take on it i don't have a great suggestion otherwise of of like what to do but yeah yeah so just to understand this a little bit better so your idea for embedding would be take all of the highlights that someone generates for a book like take all of your specific highlights for make something wonderful and then embeddings would only serve the purpose of making it easy to interact with your highlights, right? Like if you wanted to ask a question of your highlights or yeah. search through your highlights, but if you wanted to like summarize your highlights, would that be a, a use case for embeddings or no? That would, you would just use a large language model to like generate a summary based on what your highlights were. Well, yeah, you, the embeddings, the only place that would be useful is if you were like, Hey, find me all of my 
uh, highlights about like time management and then summarize it for me and tell me where it came from. So basically then it could pull all of the embeddings from that search first and then use that in a, in a, in a summarization. So mm. yeah. 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 It kind of feels like what you're describing is what David Senra is if he were an algorithm and not a person. It's right. like yeah. his ability, his ability to be able to be like, oh, well, Steve Jobs did this, but Edge yeah. of Land did this first. And let me tell you about the connection between the two. Exactly. It's basically what you're describing. It's like, oh, I read this book on Edwin Land and Polaroid. I read this book on Steve Jobs. And now I can like but, infer connections between them. Yeah. And the other, the other place that my mind goes with this is, and, and this may have been what Ryan was getting at. I think he was saying there's like, he has these notes in all these different places and it's hard to keep track of all of them. And it is overwhelming, like at a certain point to have all these notes and bookmarks from everything. And I'm not really sure how to make, how to actually like use these in a way that is beneficial to me. And it's like, there's so many that you can't remember what you did. You don't remember where you stored them. And, and it's hard to know where to apply them. And I think that that's, what's really difficult. And it almost, I was thinking the other day how like it, it's almost like you just need to pick a few principles that are important to you and then just like live by those and you're going to remember those, right? As opposed to like always having like these different quotes and ideas and strategies about like how to live your life. And it's just very hard to keep track of all of them. I don't know what the right solution is for that, but that was just another thought that I had. Yeah, I have, I have a few jumping off points. One that I think is related to what you're you're commenting on right now at the end is like, I kind of read a book and then I, if you ask me three months later, what I liked about the book or what my favorite part about a book is, unless that book is Harry Potter, I really can't tell you it's, I really just remember the feeling of, I really like this or I really right. didn't like, it didn't do it for me. And what I think that you're describing is like, if I were to go describe to another person, here's why you should read this book. Then I, there's something that you can do with my highlights, which the highlights are like a proxy for what parts really spoke to you and stood out to you right. that would allow you to go to someone else and be like, oh yeah, this is what I liked about this book. And so I'm almost thinking of like a better recommendation system of if I want to know like which of my friends, it, this is basically related to what we were talking about with Goodreads a couple weeks ago is like, right. if I want to be able to find books to read next, then could I figure out like, what would I like to read based on what other people have highlighted? And use that as a proxy for like thing takeaways that people got from a book. Cause you always go through Kindle and I always get excited when I see the like 4,387 people highlighted this section. Cause I'm like, Ooh, this is going to be money. And for the most part, that's usually the money section. Sometimes it's off, but like for the most part, that's pretty good. Right. And even being able to like turn that the like, Oh, here's what people highlighted about a book. And now we can summarize that for you and like get you a sense of would you like to read that book or not? That would be cool. And both as a way for me to be able to send that from myself to someone else to be like, yeah, this is what I got out of the book. And this is what I liked about it. But also to be able to infer from someone else, like, would I like this based on things that I've liked in the past? And maybe that's where something like embeddings would, could come in where you could say, okay, well, I have a good proxy for what Matt likes or Seth likes, and I have a good proxy for what other people like, and can I map them together? Mm. Or if you wanted to be able to make inferences between what you highlighted and maybe even other books, like you said, you could be like, you know, find me another book that aligns with this philosophy of doing deep work and it'll like suggest this one for you. So that's one idea. I don't know if that actually has legs, but yeah, I, that was just like a problem that I noticed I have is I usually forget specifics about books and what I liked about them three months after I read them. Right. Which is, I think the the, what's challenging is that like, there could have been three amazing takeaways from that book, but like, I think there's some level of like maybe internalizing these things and then you kind of subconsciously might take advantage yeah. of what you've learned. And I think that reading just does make you, you're going to make more connections the more you read and, and understand these things. But, but yeah, I mean, no, we're not encyclopedias. Like we're not going to be able to remember everything that, that we, re we read for sure. Right. Um, which also, which I also think that's another argument for rereading books. I think is nice a lot of mm -hmm. times to like help kind of, solidify things that you've you've learned from it the other thing that i think that kind of leads to is i think too many people like spend all their time reading all these books taking notes putting it into the perfect like note taking 
journal notion page that's connected and also and then like don't actually take action of what the book is suggested suggesting so i think that it's and it's a much harder to like it's just so much harder mentally to like actually take action based on it but it's going to be way more impactful to just read a book finish it and say hey here's one or two things that i could actually do in my life that's going to make my business grow or make whatever do do something so i think that that's and that was something that i think david sandra said in one of he talked about how like there were there was some successful person he was talking about that that was something that they did like they read the book and then they would take action based off of it um Mm -hmm. so i think that's also something that i think about now in terms of like reading books and then what to do after afterwards yeah i feel i I agree i feel like it's something that i should be doing but i'm not intrinsically motivated enough to do is to like actually reflect on these books write down what i liked about them what i learned from them and then try to make sure that i do learn them and yeah. it's yeah it's it's probably something i should be doing but don't and that's why maybe that's for me like what i really got out of the, out of the invent and wander conversation in this conversation was just almost reaffirming all of the things that i got out of the books because i think like i i had even before i went through and looked at my highlights for the jobs biography i was like oh yeah like you know artist good products i have these like two word summaries of him but it was really nice to go back and be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that story. And that one really resonated with me. Right, right. Totally. I totally agree. And now like I've read the Jobs biography at this point, it is probably like almost 10 years ago, eight years ago, but I want to re I want to read it again. And I'm yeah. 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 The other one other thought I had while we were talking about this was books are only one form of content, but there's not really a good way to highlight or like do the equivalent for audio so like podcasts videos like if i wanted to do that for a youtube video i wouldn't be able to do this and for articles too and so i was trying to think of like what would highlighting look like because i think it's the same problem in my mind like if i want to share an article with someone then what i've found is that just sharing the link has like maybe a 15 or 20 percent success rate in terms of getting someone to open it and read the book the, the link or read the article but And when I share like, oh, here's what I got out of it, or here's what I thought was really impactful, or here's a good quote, I've noticed that that tends to do much better. And so that is one, another one where it's like, can I figure out pretty quickly and distill down, here's what I got of the article, and then share that with someone else if I want to share that. Like, it's hard to get to share this content. I think even if you're like, if you're someone who runs a Substack or you're someone who like writes a newsletter of any kind, then you want your readers to be sharing your content, but it's really hard to do that. Or for our listeners, like it's really hard to get them to share anything about our podcast because like, what would you do? You'd be like, here's this hour long link. Uh, Like that, that sucks. That's a terrible experience. And so that's something I've been thinking about too. Is it usually like for a podcast, I'll have to kind of just remind people like 18 times. Oh yeah, Acquired's amazing. I get so much out of it. This one in particular is really interesting. I think this one would be good for you. And even that it's hard to get someone to listen to a 10 hour, three part podcast on Berkshire Hathaway. Like it's, it's just hard. Yeah. I still think that a cool business idea out there and so much of this, it's not this, like the constraint here isn't technology. It's just like product is making Mm -hmm. something where like, I want it to be like Twitter where I can follow people like my friends or people. I like, I like their taste and then I can, get a feed of all of like the things that they've read that they really recommend and they like, or like whatever, whatever. And like, I think part of that is making it really easy for people to share the things that like, that's one half of it, right? It it has to be easy to share it. But if you could, I would love to like, just have a feed of like the things that you, you really liked or the things that, you know, all, all sorts of people. I think that it would be really cool. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally, totally agree. Yeah. Okay, cool. We're running out of time here. Is there anything else you wanted to get to? Maybe I'll save Bessemer's investment memo for Mind Body for next week. But okay. what do you got? No, that's cool. That's all. Let's. I gotta hop off in a minute. So yeah, quick carve out. What do you got? I've been speaking of rereading. I've been rereading Exhalations by T- Ted Chia. Oh, yeah, and just really good short stories. I really like it. It's also, I don't know, just, it's it's just great. So it's like a sci-fi short story book. So 
Yeah, really like it. Yeah, maybe I'll have to ask you about this later because I read it and I found the stories really unsatisfying. They all kind of like ended prematurely. It was my takeaway. <laughs> well, I think that, yeah, after I finish all of them, I'll have a better feedback for you. But I don't know. I think that is kind of his style. I don't really mind. I think you kind of, it leaves you with something to think about, right? You have to like, they're all like yeah. leaving it for you to think about. And they're kind of thought provoking. I don't think the idea is that like it's tied up in a bow basically. It, yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I just like things that are tied up in a bow. <laughs> <laughs> it's really well written it's amazing and it wasn't his other book one of the stories was adapted into what was it what was the movie arrival, arrival yeah 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 and even that wasn't tied up in a bow really none, none of it's tied up in a bow with him yeah yeah that's fair that's uh, fair but yeah i i know like uh project hail mary has a little bit more of a satisfying ending i but still can't get sammy to read it she still won't read it I want to reread it. I liked it so much. It's so good. Oh my God. It's so good. I can't believe she didn't like it. Yeah. All right. Did you come up with a carve out over the last hour? Yeah. I try not to share things that I'm not completely done with, but I'm reading Outlive by Peter Atia right now. And it's mm-hmm. really good. And I thought I wasn't going to like it because I was like, oh, it's just all going to be about longevity and how do you live to 150, blah, blah, blah. It's right. actually much more about like how you know, given this constraint that most people are probably going to live to 80 or 90, how do you make the last 10 years of your life awesome instead of sucking? Like most people can think of their grandparents who are, you know, like cognitively declining or battling cancer. And there are all these physical issues that you have to deal with in the last 10 years of your life that make the last 10 years really miserable for a lot of people. But how can you take that and actually like start now as someone who's 30, like the two of us are, and take action today to make sure that your entire life is amazing instead of like 80% of it being really good and the last 20% being really miserable. Um, and so it's been really interesting. I've really enjoyed it actually. Yeah, that does sound good. Is there anything, is it like exercise based, like food based, like what kind of things are, are they saying? Yeah, I it's so kind of split up in a couple different things. The main takeaways so far are exercising is probably the best thing that you could do to combat the four main causes of death when you're older. Like heart disease, cancer, metabolic decline, and cognitive decline. Like exercise is probably the best thing you can do. I'm not done yet. So that's like my very high level takeaway, but really like the best one, it part one is all about learning about those four. He calls them the four horsemen, but the four like major causes of death. And then after that, it's actually going into each one. And so it's talking about exercise right now. It's going into diet. And the main takeaway with diet so far is basically like, there's no one diet that works for everybody. Like I used, he used to be this ketogenic Nazi and just like everything was about all about the ketogenic diet. And now he really doesn't believe that he thinks it's going to become much more personalized, which I agree with, but yeah, it's been really good so far. Yeah. Huh. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. I'm, I'm curious to hear more. That reminds me just talking about like food and living longer. There's a quote from Warren Buffett, who's 92 and you know, he eats McDonald's every single day, <laughs> but basically He's like, he's like, yeah, like I, I don't see smiles on the faces of people at Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, if That's... somebody told me I, I live a year longer by eating nothing but broccoli and asparagus from now on, every day will seem long. I'll stick with Cheetos and the Coke. <laughs> I, That's so I, funny. I think that he has philosophy that like, like, like he'd rather be happy, right? And like, there is some something to that maybe. Like if you eat what's going to make you happy, then uh, to an extent, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, I'm sure he has like some nutritionists and people that are helping him to an extent, but he does eat McDonald's a lot. Yeah. Every day. It reminded me of what Will Ahmed, the founder of Whoop said on the, my first million podcast when he was on a few months ago. He's mm. basically like, our goal is not to make everyone a cyborg. That's a really miserable way to live. We want to yeah. make every, make sure everyone has the tools to live healthily, but you want to enjoy your life. It's not worth living if you don't enjoy it. And no. Yeah, that really rang true also. One other thing that I was just listening to the My First Million podcast and Sean was talking about startup studios randomly. Did you listen? Oh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. I did listen to this and I have comments. I just thought it, it was like applicable to what we were just talking about in the last episode. Yeah. He was like, yeah, like they don't really, it's like, it's not really good to focus on multiple products. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it was, I was thinking a lot about the Arrested Development scene where Tobias is like, you know, it doesn't work for most people, but it might work for us. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wait, that's that's amazing. That is literally what startup studios are. That's like yeah. I do <laughs> I do think that for anyone else. Con- nope. But it might nope, work for it- us. <laughs> <laughs> I, so yes, I agree that probably it's not gonna just put your attention, but the way that I'm going about it is more build products that are complementary to each other and serving the same market. So it's not like we're gonna go and build this radically different product all the way over here and they're not gonna work with each other. It's more like build a product grow people, grow an audience for that product, build more products for that same audience. That's at least the way I'm thinking about it, which makes sense to me, but yeah. Yes. And the, the other thing that I think, what well, we talked about in the last episode, but I think an ideal way to do it also is I think early on, it's okay to kind of experiment with multiple things, but I do think that you can make the decision to that say, okay, we're going to now double down on the one product that's really working. Totally. The question yeah. is that or... or Anyway, but yeah, I agree. I think that having a like all of your products around like very be similar or towards the same audience is, is a little bit different. But yeah, yeah. agreed. All right, cool. Let's go on that note. Awesome. All right, good episode. Good episode. Talk later, man. All right, see ya. Bye. Bye.